Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Living free. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits, people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the recovery programs that assist those suffering directly or indirectly from addiction to drugs, alcohol, gambling and food. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Uh, this show was pre-recorded as the first of two interviews with members of Doors Wide Open. It was recorded in August 2022, and the second interview will be broadcast later in 2022. I'd like to welcome Tyrrell Houghton and Shane Thompson to the show today. It's lovely to be with you. Thank you. Tyrrell is chair of the board, and Shane is a peer support worker from an organisation called Doors Wide Open, located in Bunbury in Western Australia. Uh, Doors Wide Open are a not-for-profit organisation providing support to those recovering from methamphetamine and other addictions and also providing assistance to those supporting them through their recovery journey. It provides peer-led support model and operates on a non-judgmental environment where empathy and compassion are provided. So welcome to the show and I, I guess Cyril, as chair of the board, you're probably the best best person to tell us a little bit about Doors Wide Open, why it started and how it serves the community in Bunbury. Doors Wide Open is a unique organisation and it evolved out of the desperate need by two mothers in Bunbury who had children who were impacted by methamphetamine dependency and they found that they had nowhere to go no one who really understood what they were doing and going through. And so as a result of that, it kind of just evolved because we have obviously within our health system, we have doctors and we have psychologists and we have nurses and we have people who can help and various agencies for the people who recognise a need to have some support. But for those people who are actually the friends and family there was nothing. And I believe generally there still is nothing. And so we are unique in that. We are a bespoke model. And um, I just commend the people who started this organisation and the boards that have been um, in it up until recently when I took over in October last year. Currently, what we're doing is we are continuing with the model and we have an amazing um, compact with Anglicare with our housing first support services as well. So half of the time of our support workers is spent with that. But how did I become involved with the board? I was a West Australian Recovery College educator and had been working with a lot of people who were part of helping people to recover from various issues, including just general mental health, although one can never say that about mental health. As you know, there's a wide range of um, forms of mental health and in particular anxiety but then there's also those who are needing to recover from the various substance dependencies. 
And so we've now evolved into including um, alcohol and uh, other drugs other than methamphetamine. But it was methamphetamine was the catalyst at the beginning. Yeah, I, I was going to say, yes, it's it's unusual to find anybody who, who is a single drug user these days. Um, it's very much alcohol and other drugs. So it is a, a wide-ranging problem. In the major capital cities, there's other support like Narcotics Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous. So was that lacking in your area? Although those agencies are there, what we've discovered is that methamphetamine, um, often if you are impacted by alcohol and other drugs, the recovery time is often a lot quicker But what we've discovered is that it takes a full two years for there to be any form of full recovery for somebody who has been having a a methamphetamine dependency. And as a result of that, one of the restrictions within our board um, applications is you can be on our board if you are a recovery, but you have to have been clean for two years. And that's quite different to um, the, the recovery models for lots of the other Um, forms of dependency and often people think well now you've stopped drinking so you're going to be okay but as we know a large number of people with a drug dependency will relapse and lapse and there's a difference between those two relapsing is when you go back to what you were doing before in full um, uh, dependency as opposed to and you'll notice that I'm not using the word abuse because unfortunately we have within the drug and alcohol Um, and other drugs, because there's also prescription dependency, and a large number of people within our community also suffer from that. And ultimately, what has to happen is we need people, if we can have a strong family support structure and try to take away the shame of somebody who has this dependency and help them to come to an understanding as to how it happened, why it happened, and they need help. It's a health issue. It shouldn't be a criminal issue, as it so often is. And I just weep for the number of families and friends who are impacted by it. And, you know, we end up with people being incarcerated, and it doesn't necessarily fix the problem, when often the problem was something that had happened many, many years ago to that person, and they need help to be able to overcome that. Yeah, it's often the family that bears the brunt of addiction problems. So what sort of services do you provide for the families as well? Well, you see, so often families don't even know where to turn to. And so they can come in here, and this also includes the person, if we can get the person who has the dependency to acknowledge that they need help. So they can come in, they can talk to a peer support worker, We don't even ask them what their whole story is initially. They can just come in and form a link, have somewhere to have a cup of coffee, just sit and chat, have some quiet time and reflect. And then eventually, once that bond has been established, enable the people to be able to be provided with the support. We don't actually provide the clinical support because that is not our role. But our peer support workers having all with lived experience fully understand the impact that the dependency has upon the person who's currently um, in need of help. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit about how many people have been through your service? Well, I'm going to ask Shane for the latest figures, and I know over the last week. Uh, This week, 
at least 40 to 50, maybe 60. And the other thing too, Bill, is that obviously, as in all other cities and regional areas, you know, larger towns, with the impact of the current economic situation, we've got an increasing number of people who are homeless. Mm. And that is having a huge impact on people. But to answer your question, we, c- we cannot accommodate people here. We have a toilet, we don't have showers. Mm. But we can put people in touch with other agencies. And if a person has been homeless, for example, for a period of time, you know, some people don't even have a fixed address. So, therefore, how does one access all of those other supports that are required? And, and so it does enable them to start that recovery process to help to get their life, you know, back on track. Yeah. You mentioned um, housing support and Anglicare. So how does that model work for people who come through your service? Well, what happens is that we, that the particular model that we have here in Western Australia is designed for people who are the rough sleepers. So sometimes the rough sleeper may come in to doors wide open, particularly when it's been so wet over here in WA, and have a cup of coffee. But we can't specifically refer them through to Anglicare. They have to be seen by a peer support worker in the place where they're actually, um, you know, rough sleeping. So we do have people who go out in that other part of the service, which is run through Anglicare and Housing First Support Services, and that is where they make that connection. So in many ways, we are almost like a drop-in centre for people to start to discover some of the options and um, supports that are available. Okay. So with the family and friends then, how does your support model work for them? Well, generally, we've we've actually got a, a group running at the moment, which is for the carers and the parents that are needing support. And they are just a group and basically people who want to come, led by one of our um, people who's been in that situation before, a volunteer. And it's just generally a think tank for people to share their experiences, to realise that they are not alone, um, because, you know, the, the families will often be impacted by shame. And, you know... Other people who were the friends of this family will withdraw because they don't want to be part of what's been happening. They're fearful of the impact it may have upon their own children. And so as a result of that, the person who does have a child or a loved one, they end up feeling quite really, really isolated. So to be able to go somewhere where they can talk to others who are in that same situation is really useful. The big issue, of course, is obviously funding. Um, and op- we're all always applying for grants to be able to continue those programs. But as you may or may not know, Bill, I am going to raise one other elephant in the room, and that is all grants at the moment do not necessarily provide the funding for the actual premises that you are in. So, and this is something that I would like to see be see changed within the not-for-profit organisation. It was raised recently. And COVID has had a massive impact on the ability for us to fundraise with the normal processes, because particularly here in Western Australia, you know, we can't, we couldn't over a period of time, it's only just starting to occur again now, be able to have the normal fundraising activities that we would have done before. 
and, you know, to cover for the rent and the electricity and the water and all of those sorts of things that every premise needs. Why was that? It's just because the way the grants are. Oh. You can apply for a project, right? You can apply for funding for a project, but not, not to actually give, give yourself a roof over the head. Right. And so that is an issue. And I would love to, I mean, I, I keep finding that, and this is not not having a go at anybody in particular, but it just is an issue that does need to be addressed. And it's not just us. It's a huge number of not-for-profits are being severely impacted by this. And we can't, you know, we're, we're very concerned at the moment about maintaining this fantastic organisation that we have here and the incredible work that we do with our vulnerable members of community. Because once you can maintain that family as a strong support with love and care around the person who's been impacted by the substance dependency, then what happens is that that person has somewhere to go back to. So if the worst case scenario was that they were incarcerated because they had committed a crime to fund their substance dependency, as often happens, then what occurs when they come out, where do they go? If the family structure has completely broken down, then they're going to end up being homeless. And you may be across some of, I don't have all of the, the details, Phil, but there's a lot of research coming out now that that post-prison transition is absolutely critical to keeping people, A, out of prison on a constant, you know, rotating basis, but also enabling them to restructure their lives, gain somewhere to live, gain suitable employment, etc. And it's about re-establishing those links within the community. You know, Bunbury is an incredible place and our, 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 fam, um, our volunteers here do the most amazing work and the community has been very, very supportive and they understand the need. And we've actually reduced the amount of dependency. Once upon a time, we had the distinction of being the, the worst place for methamphetamine. That's not the case anymore because people are more aware, which is wonderful. Yeah, that, that's a really great news, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, well, listen, we'll take a short break there. Uh, the first song we have today is called Smooth or Crunchy, and it's by Sunday Lemonade, a.k.a. The Lemons, and it was released in July 2022 and is courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. I wanna take you down the road unknown where the air is not as cold. Mm. And we'll pull up in our camper van and drink red wine so we can feel real warm. Mm. I'll tell you all about my ex girlfriend and how I struggled most. Mm. And I'll admit to all my flaws cause I was not the best version of myself. Back then, I'll tell you, baby, I can promise to be your safety and be honest. We'll roast some veggies without you oven, just you and me in our home. See us grow. Don't care to see mm -hmm. us grow. We'll forget about 
all the time that passes by so we don't feel as oh you crochet lemons writing music eating peanut butter toast smooth or crunchy you still don't know which one you like the Trust your eyes since the day they caught It's no surprise, no surprise. You caught me by surprise. Since then, I felt weightless. Scared and broken Trust the path that's golden Trust the path that's golden No regrets From this road we've chosen Trust the path that's golden Trust the path that's golden You see my heart Won't change directions Trust the path that's golden Trust the path that's golden You see my eyes Won't change colors Trust about it's golden, trust about it's golden, trust about it's golden, trust about it's golden, you see my heart. I'll tell you, baby, I can promise to be your safety and be honest. We got it all. Spark is an independent, volunteer-run bookshop, gallery, music and community space in Northcote, Nam, dedicated to creativity, learning and liberation. Black Spark is a space for the entire community, free of charge, hosting art, music and literary events. To keep Black Spark free, open and accessible to everybody, we need your help. We are calling for your support for our rent fundraiser to keep our doors open into the coming years. With your support, we can continue to host book and exhibition launches, art auctions, fundraisers, music gigs, and facilitate opportunities and growth for emerging artists and grassroots communities. For more information, visit Keep Black Spark Alive on chuffed.com or check out Black Spark on all the socials. Keep Black Spark Alive! A 3CR supporter. Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. 
depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. You're listening to The Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then you can head to your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our webpage, you'll also find details about The Living Free Show and how you can contact us. Today, I'm talking with Tyrrell and Shane about Doors Wide Open and their support for amphetamine uh, user recovery. Shane, you're a peer support worker, but you've got lived experience. So would you like to tell us a little bit about your early life and I guess how you got into drugs and using? Yeah, certainly. Uh, so I was born in Buchanan, but raised in Kalgoorlie. Kalgoorlie was a hard town for kids, uh, a lot of fighting, a lot of, yeah. So I was basically into sports uh, after school. Uh, then by the age of 15, I started working on the mines, so I had plenty of money. All my mates had no money, so we, I took them out drinking because there wasn't a lot of else to do. So as soon as the drinking wasn't enough, we started smoking pot. Uh, then from marijuana on to other bigger and better things. So, yeah, basically by the time I was 18 to 20, I was using speed, hash, trips, pills and marijuana. Uh, working in the mines, there was never any drama with money because I was on big dollars at that age. Then I had my son at 25. I was still working in the mines, still earning massive amounts of money. Then I was into the super pit in Kalgoorlie. I uh, twisted my ankle and I was put out of work. Uh, that's when I went into a nine year or eight and a half years of depression. My drug use got worse. Uh, with being out of work, my then partner, I got her a job underground. But within three months, I caught her in bed with another bloke. So my depression got worse. I left with my son and moved to Bunbury because that's where my family had moved to from Kalgoorlie. Got down here to Bunbury. Uh, I was still using, but I was having my son, looking after my son. And uh, then eventually in 2005, I got a payout on my ankle, which was uh, over $400,000. And that's when my drug use started using methamphetamines. So back then in the old days, it was just speed. It wasn't as bad. Methamphetamine use got rapidly quicker and quicker, or more and more, I should say. Uh, I started having people chasing me because they knew I had money and drugs. My son seen people put guns to my head and run through my house. So I made a, a smart decision to give him back to his mum, which I've always regretted, and I've got more depression over that. As a lad, I was never allowed to show emotion because my old man was a, a tough old bloke. Uh, he'd belt us and give us something to cry about if we were crying. 
that was the main reason I was using drugs to hide my emotions and not to deal with stuff, especially with the depression. In 2006, I was caught by the police. They took all my money for proceeds of crime because I was using it to buy drugs with. I went to jail for the first time for two and a half years. Didn't use in jail. As soon as I got back out of jail, I tried to get work. I couldn't get work. I eventually got work after 76 interviews. Uh, and then I worked for two years before I bumped into an old uh, acquaintance who I owed money to and I thought I'd never see again. He got me back into selling drugs because I was good at it. And, yeah, not even a few months then I was caught again back in jail. But all up, I've been in and out of jail four times now. And I didn't mind going to jail because not being at Bunbury Jail is easy compared to, I suppose, Melbourne jails. I wasn't, I had a sister cell, I had a good job. And my family could visit me every weekend, you know. It, was, it wasn't a hassle. There was no concerns. You didn't have to think. You were told what to do. And it was the same stuff day after day. Come the fourth time of being caught by the police, that was due to, um, I was working as project coordinator for work for the Dole. And then COVID hit and I lost. They just stopped all the government jobs. So, and then they go, right, you can have more money, plus you can get more super out. You who got more money, got more super, bored, started thinking again, couldn't control my emotions, started using drugs again. I got caught within a month and a half after starting to use again. So the fourth time I got caught, I thought, I can't keep going back to jail. Things have got to change. I'm 50-something now. So I decided to do rehab, and I've never done that before. I went into rehab. Didn't last the full eight months, only lasted 55 days, but today on two years, one month, two days clean still. So I got the tools I needed, and when I got out of rehab, I did NA, I did 90 meetings in 90 days, and I kept up NA for, I don't know, six months. But after getting out of jail, I started work here, and that's when my life's changed a lot. I've used doors wide open since 2015. I was volunteering back then. Well, I've also used it as a client and as a volunteer and now as a worker. I've done all three stages here at Doors. I've been very, very lucky. I know the ladies personally because uh, I think I was one of the people that was selling to their sons. That's why I started this place. So that hit home when I came and interviewed for to be a volunteer. That We know you, Shane. We know all about you. We forgive you. And the two ladies that started this were a wonderful people. And everyone that works here are wonderful people. It, it takes a lot to work here. It's in your heart to be wanting to change this change the town and make people aware of how bad methamphetamine is and other drugs. I get um, a lot of joy out of seeing people coming crying. I don't get joy out of that, but after I've talked to them and they walk away smiling from the from the place, it gives me a lot of joy. When a new client comes in, I always tell them my story first. Just to try and build, like, in and out of jail, I got belted by the bike, he's tons of other stuff I could never say. And then they open up to me, they can, they, I build poor and we trust with them up first. And they usually open up with me within the first half an hour and they tell me their story. So I don't even get them to fill that paperwork, we get them a coffee, make them feel like it's home, like it's a family here for them and they can keep coming back whenever they need. Yeah. yeah. So that's basically my, like, in and out of jail, depression, not dealing with emotions, I could never handle it. And now I've learned all that. 
I can say no to stuff. I could never say no to people either. I was, I'm a giver. I'm a yeah, a bad giver. I can I just say yes, 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 yes. But now I've learned through rehab and here at doors, it's okay to say no. It's okay to have a cry as a man, and it's okay to openly discuss your problems with other people. You're not weak because of it. Yeah. And the issue is once you've shared it, it it's not a secret anymore. So it's, no, it can't hurt you as much. Yeah, that's you. Yeah, I've done PowerPoint displays for people. I've been on other podcasts. I've been on the news. So I'm, I'm very open with my past because I really want to help see other people see it and go, right, if he can do it, I can too. Yeah. Can I ask you a little bit about your experience in Narcotics Anonymous? Yeah. How that helped you? Uh, well, that's the same thing as doors a little bit. Uh, you go there, you don't have to talk. You know, you can just go there and sit and listen to other people's stories. Or you do a five-minute share, and your share can be about anything. And no one's allowed to talk, no one's allowed to interrupt. You just blurt it all out, and then you feel good because you've got it out. People have listened, and there's no comments. You know, and it's all confidential. You're supposed to keep it confidentiality. Not allowed to talk about it once you leave NA. It was just nice to hear stories that were pretty similar to mine, knowing I'm not alone. And after the meeting, you could go outside and smoke with that person and go, right, how did you beat this? How did you do that? But it's, even being in NA, it's still not a fail safe. Yeah. People in NA, like some have been two, three years clean and then they've relapsed majorly. It's, a, it's an ongoing problem. Or even today, I still have cravings. I used to have them two, three times a week. I'd wake up and go, gee, I'd go, but now it's gotten out to once a month, once it's every second month. It's still there in the back of my head. I call it my worm, which is boring into my head, wanting to be dead or in the gutter or in prison again. But I'm learning to beat it because I know feelings and emotions pass. I've just got to learn to sit with it yeah. and deal with it. You know, it's I'm 54 nearly and I'm I should be able to handle emotions and do that now, which I'm pretty good at pretty now. I'm getting better and better. Yeah, that, that's good. So have you thought about, you know, using the uh, the NA model as a support for the people in your program? I mention it. I always mention NA rehab. If I, I give them ideas. I don't force them on it because as being a peer support worker, we're here to empower them to make their own correct decisions. We just give them paths to follow if they want to follow that path. But we're here to just encourage them and let them know that we always care and we're here for them. No matter if they make a wrong decision, we're still here for them. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your family and how they supported you? Yeah, um, I must admit I'm, I'm a very lucky person. My mum is my rock. Well, my dad was hard. My dad was a Shearer 10 boxer in his day. Um, he punished us pretty hard as kids. Like, yeah, I won't go into that. But my mum is a rock, and my, my dad's still is still there as well. But my mum uh, didn't budge. Visited me every week, and I was like, one day I was off. My mum hadn't seen me for about seven months because I was using. She came into a shop. Uh, I seen her come in, and I'm going, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. I don't know how to deal with it. Next minute, she tapped me on the shoulder. I turned around and went, who the hell are you? Or not the words, what worse? Just so I didn't want to deal with it. And then I saw my mum run out of the shop crying. Worst thing I've ever done in my life. She's forgiven me. I still, I've tried to forgive myself. I think I have. 
I've had rapid eye treatment done. I've had seen psychologists. I've had a lot of mental health work done, and I've, I'm pretty close to being healed, hopefully, that way as well. But just talking about it upsets me as well. But my, my whole family, my sister, my brother, my sister was going to get married, but while I was in jail, so they cancelled it. Uh, they're still not married today. <laughs> uh, Mum and dad have cancelled trips around Australia because I've been in jail because then they wouldn't be able to visit every week. My son, over the years, has, has lost contact with me because I've been in and out of jail because I promised him I'd never go back, and I did, and I did, and I did. But I've mended all them fences. It took a long time and a lot of hard work, but I love my family. And I've got, it's hard. Just, I wouldn't be here without them, that's for sure. Mm. Every time I've got out of jail, I've, I've had a place to stay. I've, I've been homeless, but I've had a car. But coming straight out of jail to a house is a major part of coming out of jail. If you don't have somewhere to stay when you get out of jail, you're really offended in no time. So I've had a, an awesome family that supported me. Yeah, that's really good to hear. So have, have they been able to get any support for themselves? I'm going to say, do they use the program as well? My mum has come in a couple of times. My dad won't. My dad's, you know, tough old bloke, doesn't need help. Walked to school for 20Ks with no shoes back in his day, he reckoned. And so my old man, he just deals with things differently. So my mum rings me twice a week now and we vent on the phone to each other so we, she can let stuff out and I let stuff out. And we're just really, really close. It's, it's an awesome feeling to have someone that's that close to you, even though it's my mum. but. Mm. Yeah, she counsels me as a help, I suppose, now. Yeah. She's been in the doors a couple of times talking to the ladies about ideas. Yeah. But that was just so she wasn't enabling me to use drugs. Like back in the day, mum had blinkers on. My son, he doesn't use, doesn't use. And my mum had lost her sense of smell. He used to smoke joints behind her back and she didn't even know. <laughs> yeah, but she's come a long way now. She knows not to enable. My brother, my brother's still in drug use. So I don't see him at all. My sister stopped and now she's a supervisor at Woolies. So we've come a long way. I've even got savings in the bank looking at buying a unit and I haven't had money in my bank account for 15, 16, 17 years probably because of my drug use. Yeah. I am really, really happy with my life at the moment. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. Yeah, that's good to hear. Well, listen, we might take another short break there. Uh, the second song is also by Sunday Lemonade and it's called See You Sometime, released recently in August 2022. It's also courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. Hot. 
Estate, located in Elston Week, is hosting a pre-loved cookery book sale. It will be held within the original Victorian kitchen and there will be over 400 books, all priced under $20. General property entry applies, which includes a tour of the mansion. The sale will run from the 25th of September to the 28th of September from 10am to 4.30pm. Explore a huge variety of recipe books spanning over many decades and genres. Head to ribbonleyestate.com.au for more information. National Trust of Australia is a 3CR supporter. Six years I've been in desert. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things unfold. And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know, it's been going for a while now. Hopefully it goes, it keeps going, you know, like it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there. As prisoners, we can't blame everything on the external. So let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor, because real power comes from here, and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 9419 This is Living Free Show on 3CR Digital and live streaming on 3cr.org.au. Today I'm talking with Bureau and Shane and we're talking about how Doors Wide Open supports methamphetamine user recovery and their family and friends. So, Cyril, back to you. Talking about the services that Doors Wide Open provides, do you want to give us a bit of history about yourself and how you got into it? Yeah, Bill, that, that's fine. Um, I, in 2020, went to the West Australian Recovery College and trained as an educator. 
travelled up from Bunbury to Perth every week and over that period of time realised that there was a massive need for, and, and I am a trained educator, I'd been a head of mathematics at Bunbury Senior High School and, um, you know, finally retired from that job in 2020. Interestingly enough, though, I had seen the devastation of addiction um, and dependency and the impact it has upon children. As an educator, and I'm sure there's lots of teachers and out there at the moment who see the same thing, the, um, the personal neglect of the children, the lack of food in the home because there is no money because it's been spent in other things. And I really wanted to give something back to the community and then met through that a wonderful man down here called Andy who had been one of the original family and friends participants within Doors Wide Open because his family had been impacted. And what happened was that we formed a connection and he said, look, I've got knowledge and you've got education skills. How about we put this course together? Because the West Australian Recovery College, the process they use is co-design and co-production. And they're, they're very much the buzzwords now, as you know, even in things going through um, federal think tanks and also in state governments. You know, you, you get a group of people together, you talk about stuff, and then you come up with something that, you know, sort of is a consensus. As a result of that, we provided this course, and Shane was one of the first people to come to it. And... What happened was that we all, through those courses, we learn, and that's the same model that's happening here at um, Doors Wide Open, is from each other's experiences, provided we're prepared to be non-judgmental and just listen, allow the other person to be without shaming or, you know, any of those other sorts of negative connotations we often have. Because we do that terribly to people. You know, we make assumptions about people that are often so, so wrong. And if we could just open our hearts and provide the love and care that they need and the support, because, you know, the current statistics frighten me as to how close so many people are to homelessness within our community. And when you become homeless, yes, you're going to be anxious. Yes, you're going to be depressed. And then that thing can lead on to all sorts of other things. But what we've discovered through this course is that the impact, and a lot of people, if they're interested, they can actually go and see what does methamphetamine do to the brain. You can see it on YouTube clips. You know, the first, the first hit is amazing. You feel incredible because your dopamine, which is your feel-good, has been accelerated and it gives you more of that. You feel fantastic but eventually the receptors are blocked and you just need more and more and more to get that original high. And then, of course, the breakdown of the body and what happens, and in particular, the, uh, once you've stopped the full two years, and that's a major issue. And the fact that Shane has been able to do that um, and each of the other people working here have been clean for so, so long and be able to share that very, very personal experience with the people that they work with. It's just so powerful. You know, it, 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 I, don't, I think I'm, there's no way that we can have people think that that's the only thing you need to do. 
yes, clinicians and the various supports and psychologists and because quite often a lot of this, Bill, is caused by something that happened, some trauma that occurred for that person at some stage in our lives and we need to be able to be mindful of going back, finding out what that issue was and hopefully gaining support for it so that the person can then move on to become the most amazing. We, we believe here that everybody has something to offer and we just want to empower them, as Shane said, to be the best they can possibly be because, you know, we owe it to each other to be that supportive person, you know, to enable that person to, um, to tell their story, to get it out there because, as Shane said, so many men will not share because of the shame and I'm no longer a man and if I cry, you know, the suicide rate is horrendous and we need to be addressing and supporting the issues that people have, you know, and sometimes it's nothing more than just saying hello, how are you, giving people time of day instead of the negative connotations that we place on people that we presume are useless mm. because they're not dressed like us or don't live in the same house as us and et cetera, et cetera. And it's, you know, and I haven't even started talking about the impact on First Nations people. Yeah. You know, there's a huge, huge issue there mm. that must be addressed. And I'm really hopeful that this new government that we have is going to be more supportive and that we are going to be getting back to being the compassionate, caring community that Australians used to be. You know, we've become very, very litigious. We've become incredibly economically based. And I'm sorry, um, the capitalist model isn't working for the vulnerable members of our community. Yeah. We need affordable yeah. housing. We need affordable housing. Yes. We need care, yes. respect you know, compassion. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a primary requirement of humanity is to have, ha you know, safe housing, yes. Exactly. Yeah. A roof over your head. Mosloch's heritage of care, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. First one's shelter. Yeah. yeah. So, Shane, can I ask you, what, what was your experience of going through that course? How did that help? With any course, for me, knowledge is, is change. And I learned more about how the endorphins and the pathways were rewritten after so long. Because my memory was like a cheese grater, you know, back in the day. And I'm slowly getting all my memory back. And that's what you learn through the mind over meth. Every course I've done, I've changed as a person. Like I've done Cert 3 and 4 in community services as well. I'm doing Cert 3 in business admin now. With the more knowledge, you get more power for yourself, more like, my self-esteem was very poor, but with all this knowledge and then and extra training, my self-esteem is slowly building up and building up. I get more confident in front of people. It just takes time after being so long being an addict. And like it took me 30-something years to admit I was an addict. I would never say I was, but apparently one night in rehab, I was at an NA meeting and I just said I was an addict. I didn't even realise. And that was my... Biggest breakthrough, I think, knowing, saying I'm an addict. 
I always thought I was a just a casual drug user, but no, I was an addict. Yeah, yeah it's breaking that denial. I think is the big issue. Yeah, but yeah, the mind over meth was really good course. I knew most of it, but that's not what it's about. It's it's about as input as well as taking stuff in. So I was about to give my input as well into the mind over meth. But yeah, I learned a lot about the the pathways being rewritten after two years and. A lot of other stuff like mental uh, health, what health uh, benefits come out of giving it up and what damage it does to you. And so I enjoyed the course. So how did you go on to become a peer support worker in Doors Wide Open? Knowing the people working here for a long time, probably a month or two months after I got out of jail, there was a vacant spot for two hours a, a day for two days a week. And then I just, uh, I just did that. I kept going and kept going, and then it ended up being five days a week at four hours a day. Now it was five, and now we're down to four hours a day. And so you, you obviously enjoy it. Yeah. So do you want to talk about some of the people that you've helped recently? Yeah, I can't mention names, but yeah, I've helped one bloke because I know of a fair bit about court because I've been in and out of jail and all that kind of stuff and the legal requirements. He was, uh, he just had a brand new baby. He'd been caught driving under the influence a few times, caught driving without an unregistered car. And he was worried he wasn't going to see the birth of the bub. So I told him a few little, uh, you can extend your court tapes out. You can always get adjournments. You can do that three times before they get really narky with you. So he got to eventually see the birth of his bub. I got him into some counselling at St John of God's. Uh, I got put him on the STIR, a, a STIR program, whether it was back then called, it's called something else now. But he was doing uh, urinalysis, uh, wrote him a support letter for court, kept him out of jail because of all the good things we had in place for him and the, the judge could see he wanted to change. And then he was put on a, a suspected order. So all he had to do was keep reporting, keep doing urinalysis, and he didn't have to go to jail. So he's still out of jail now and living life with his baby and his missus and staying clean. Yeah. They're always good stories, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've known this bloke for a long time. I probably shouldn't have taken him on as a client, but conflict of interest kind of stuff. But he wouldn't talk to anyone else. I went to the doctors with him, got a mental health care plan done, and he wouldn't talk to the doctors because of high anxiety, he had bipolar. And so I was there sitting there with a the doctor telling him, this is what he does, this is what he's like. And that's, that way he got the proper medication. And yeah, I did. it was a lot, it was probably about six, seven months with him, but it's a nice success story. Yeah, it's good to be able to see people come back from situations like that. Yeah. The best thing about doors, we, they, no, everyone that comes here, you don't need an appointment. Yeah. You come in that door, we'll attend to you straight away. If not, we'll give them a coffee, say, we'll only be five minutes, mate, just sit out the back. They can have a smoke or they don't have to. We've got two different areas. If they need clothes, we've got a massive area out the back. We've got clothes they can take for free. Yeah, so that's all due to the wonderful community here that donate to us. Yeah, that sounds good. Bill, one of the other things I'd like to say is that obviously um, if somebody is feeling anxious or depressed, and as we know after COVID there's been a huge spike in those two particular concerns, if that, those mental health issues can be addressed early, 
then we don't end up with that utter devastation of people needing to self-medicate to enable themselves to get through a day. And often people will withdraw. And so part of the reason for Doors Wide Open existing is to enable people to then gently come back into the community and start to participate. So if there's anybody out there listening, particularly in Western Australia, and you, because it's a bit hard to volunteer for us if you're living in Melbourne or Sydney, we understand that. We know you're wonderful. But but if you're close and you'd like to come in and be a volunteer, we'd love to have you because, as we said, if you are impacted and even no matter where you are, there is that idea of getting involved, just being with someone. But people don't necessarily always want to go to a big group. They feel intimidated by that. So that's the other wonderful thing here where it's one-on-one initially and then people are offered, you know, other things that they can do um, if they choose to. And it's always about empowering the person, giving them options and helping them to then make that decision when it's right for them. And as we all know, sometimes, and the family and friends know this so, so well, you know, they they know that their, their, their loved one is in crisis but they can't get the loved one to admit there's an issue. Yeah. All I can say is to everybody involved in who's in that situation, don't give up hope. Keep going. Provide that love and care as best you can and then hopefully, eventually, you can get that person to understand your loved one that they do need help and provide what's needed for them yeah. and get, resurrect them basically, You know, bring them back to... The wonderful person that they were. Yeah. Yeah. Another program we also do here, which a lot of people struggle with paying off their court fines. Yeah. We do the work uh, development permits here, where they come to doors wide open and do yard work, housework, whatever. It's fifty dollars an hour off their fine. Right. We also work with CJS as well, Community Corrections Justice Services. People who've got um, suspended orders, they come and do their community hours here at doors, like doing our gardens and working off that. Okay, that sounds very good. So, Bill, just so that 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 makes sense to you, um, Western Australia used to incarcerate people Mm -hmm. for fines, unpaid fines. I don't know what happens in other states because I'm sure this, you know, is probably going to go nationwide. But we now have that change, so there is that opportunity to work off a fine. Yeah, and uh, much much better than people, you know, having to go to jail for it because it's not really. Then it's just another impost upon the taxpayer and uh, far better for people to be able to do what they're doing now and to reconnect. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Talk to them about rehab, giving up meth and the drugs or whatever they're using. It's a good opportunity, isn't it? Yeah. I try and scout for them as well as they work. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, if anybody would like to find out more about Doors Wide Open, you can call them on 08-9787-9298. You can visit their website, doorswideopen.org.au or check out their Facebook page, uh, Doors Wide Open, Inc. That's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Tyrrell Houghton and Shane Thompson for uh, joining us and sharing about the services Doors Wide Open provide to support those recovering from methamphetamine and other addictions and also provide assistance to those supporting them. Thank you both. Thank you very much, Bill. Yeah, thank you, Bill. I hope you'll be able to listen again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from drugs, alcohol, food and gambling and for families and friends of addicts and gamblers. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR.
To take us out, we have a song called Closer by Nagare, released in August 2021, courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. I hope that you enjoy it. In the listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.